0: Welcome, everyone. So are you tired of the same old ways of seeing things? Well, you've come to the right place. Here, we cut through the world of surface appearances and look for the light that's rare in the depths. Here, we dive into the dark waters where strange creatures move. Here, we're free to be that foolish knight who lunges at windmills and who lights up the world with his magical vision. It's all too much, says George Harrison. Well, that's true. But all the more reason to jump into it and intoxicate yourself with life's infinite profusion. After all, you don't discover new lands by sticking close to the shore, do you? This is the wisdom of... And coming up, Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning.
1: Okay, so everybody, apologies for any kind of crazy noises you might hear in the background. There is a massive construction going on at the Wisdom of Compound here, so just bear with us. So now, just think back. Think back to, you know, think back to when all of you out there, you in the digital world, when you were 16 years old, I assume... Actually, sorry, hold on. I take that back. I don't want to assume. I was going to say that I assume that you're all up to some typically dopey teenage stuff. But our listenership, it's of higher quality, I think. I think uh, you guys are made of sterner stuff. Surely you weren't like me trying to argue, argue with my mother and saying that swimming in a lake was the equivalent to taking a shower. But as impressive as you all were. I doubt any of you were impressing contemporary geniuses like a 16 year old Victor Frankel was, sending an unsolicited letter and a, and his paper to Sigmund Freud, getting it published by Sigmund Freud, and so impressing Freud that he kept tabs on the young man. So come on, tell us more about this guy. Wow, I I didn't know that. That is impressive.
0: I mean, uh, like you at 16, I don't think I impressed. Anyone. Yeah, so who is this guy? Because he's definitely a little more than just this. Well, okay, let's just get to it. So first, and as usual, a brief summary. So, Victor Frankl was a Viennese psychiatrist who was born in 1905. In 1942, he and his family were sent to Nazi concentration camps. And um, every member of his family, his parents, his siblings, and his wife, were killed there. Frankel spent three years in four different concentration camps. He survived unimaginably abusive and degrading situations. Following the liberation, he wrote Man's Search for Meaning, which he partly jotted down on scraps of paper in prison. The book chronicles his experiences as a prisoner in a Nazi concentration camp, and describes his own psychotherapeutic method, which emphasized the importance of finding meaning in all forms of existence, even the most brutal ones.
1: We all know, I think, that we live in a world of ultimate meaninglessness. We also know that we really seem to want or really seem to need meaning. That's actually, strangely, part of what draws me to sports. It takes all the chaos and it gives it some kind of structure. You know the winners, pretty much all the teams I don't like. You know the losers, conversely the teams that I cheer for. And there are no real atheists in sports in a way. The refs are the gods. They're sometimes blind, sometimes just absolutely stupid. They're highly fallible gods, but gods nonetheless. In soccer, or as sure most of you call it, football, You know, you put your little studs into someone's dainty little tootsies, red card, you're out of the game. In hockey, use your hockey stick as some sort of makeshift circumcision tool, two-minute penalty. Quoting the great Denny Lemieux from the movie Slapshot, you go to the penalty box, you feel shame. So, as different as those two are, you know the rules going in. There is a structure. Now, big picture, I know sports are fundamentally meaningless, Like, it's hard to rationalize wrapping up my sense of well-being in whether or not my preferred giant can lob an orange sphere through an elevated hoop more than the other guy's preferred giant. But it does seem like it gives us something that quote-unquote real life doesn't, maybe. A window, a hint at some deep-seated desire for meaning— does Victor Frankel have anything to say about that? Just hearing his name, he sounds like some sort of Czech hockey player, so I'm guessing he knows a bit about what I'm talking about.
0: um yeah, I'd say Frankel has a thing or two to say about meaning, but uh just a quick aside, you do know that there's a point when too much investment into sports becomes a little pathetic, right? I mean, I've seen your closet. How many Canuck jerseys do you need? you have more of those than you have of your own t-shirts. Again, sad. Yeah, anyway, so so back to Frankl. Okay, so Frankl believes that many of us suffer from a neurosis that's not a disease in a technical sense, but it's nevertheless pervasive. It's really a basic human problem, and he calls it the existential vacuum. This is when we suffer from a total lack of meaning to our existence that would make life worthwhile. Now Frankl didn't think that many of the treatments psychiatrists were using were were very effective in dealing with this affliction. So he developed his own form of therapy something he called logotherapy. Okay so what is it? Well logos is an ancient Greek word and it means well among other things meaning So essentially, logotherapy is the psychotherapeutic approach which tries to help people to restore or find meaning in their lives. Okay, now what's really important to get is that at the heart of Frankl's logotherapeutic view is the idea that the primary motivational force in human beings is their groping for a meaning to their existence and a striving to fulfill this. So, our fundamental motivation is not for for things like um like pleasure, as a Freud famously thought, or even for power as a Adler thought actually you know you know what it's maybe worth saying something about Freud and Adler here, if only to really see Frankel's crucial deviation from them okay, so let's take uh Freud first so Freud's psychoanalytic theory really centers around what he called. The pleasure principle. That's to say, he thinks we're all governed by pleasure, which is the most primitive or basic force inside of us, something we're naturally endowed with and which dominates how we behave right from the start. In this way, Freud is a kind of um, hedonist, at least insofar as he believes that we're just always seeking pleasure in everything that we do. Okay, so as I said, Frankel disagrees with Freud here. He doesn't think that something so simple and reductive as pleasure is our most fundamental motivation. Actually, Frankel accuses Freud of being procrustean here. That's to say, he accuses Freud of taking certain human phenomena and then trying to squeeze them into his own preconceived ideas regarding their role and origin, making them all about, well, you know, pleasure or sex. Actually, Something like this was uh, Carl Jung's criticism of Freud as well. He thought that Freud was just too focused on sex, and so that his explanation for things was, was just too narrow. For Jung himself, what motivates and influences human behavior is not one reductive thing in particular, but a larger life force or psychic energy. Anyway, okay, well, so what about Adler? Well, Frankel interpreted Adler as making our primary motivation a kind of will to power. Now, Frankel seems to have misunderstood Adler as suggesting a kind of a aggression, which Adler wasn't really doing. But anyway, the point is that the answer wasn't power for Frankel. Okay, so, well, what was it? Well, again, for him, our most fundamental drive is one for meaning in life. We want to actualize our value potentiality. And we suffer terribly when that drive, when that will to meaning, is frustrated or lost. Now, Frankl, of course, is not the only one to think this. Among many others, uh, the great Dostoevsky said something very similar. He said that the, the hunger for meaning burns under our fingernails. So much so, in fact, that without a purpose in life, we just can't live. In fact, he says that without meaning, we'd sooner destroy ourselves than remain on earth, even if we're surrounded by all the bread in the world. Okay, so first of all, how do we know if we're suffering from this uh, existential vacuum? Well, it might just be obvious. That's to say, we might just feel um, a straightforward inner emptiness and depression. But Frankl says that there are also various masks under which the existential vacuum appears. That's to say, sometimes our frustrated will to meaning is compensated by a a will to money, or power, or sex, or, or pleasure. Now, we might think we're happy pursuing a life dominated by such things, but we're really just masking deep existential frustration. So these are all very poor substitutes for a life built around genuine meaning. Okay, but there's another very common manifestation of the existential vacuum, Frankl says, and that's boredom. It's when we wake up on Sunday morning when the distraction of the week is over with, and we find nothing but a void within ourselves where we don't know what to do because there's a lack of real content or purpose in our lives. Okay, now that we've looked at the problem, let's get to Frankl's more constructive side of things. So, if we recognize that we're suffering from this uh, existential vacuum, we know we need to find purpose or meaning. But uh, how do we begin to do that? Well, first of all, it's to get out of ourselves, so to speak. It's to stop introspecting so much. Actually, this was another thing that Frankel disagreed with Freud about. So, Freud famously, of course, made therapy about both introspection and retrospection. In other words, it was all about going into yourself, going through this rigorous process of self examination, and also, importantly, going back into your past. That's to say, it's the past that supposedly held the key to unlocking all your problems. Well, not so much for Frankel. For Frankel, it's not the, the past, but the future that's important. More specifically, it's all about the meanings to be fulfilled by us in the future. It's all about what awaits us in the future. What waits to be actualized by us. Okay, but... Let's get um, more specific here. So Frankl would say that meaning is to be found in our relationship to the world outside of us, not in our own heads or psyches, as if it were a closed circuit. That's to say, meaning is created when we direct ourselves and our attention to things or others outside of ourselves, when we direct our attention and energy outward to the real world meaning manifests when we when we forget about ourselves and devote ourselves to a cause or or to a person meaning then is inextricably tied up with self transcendence actually you know it's interesting the contemporary philosopher byung chul han claims that depression is a narcissistic disorder he says that depression happens when one only sees or encounters oneself. And that's because obsession with oneself makes others disappear, and so with them any sense of devotion and meaning. So what's the solution? Well, it's love. Only Eros is capable of defeating depression, Han says. We need to self-negate for the sake of discovering the other, and with it, the meaning that that devotion brings. Anyway, so so back to Frankl. So, for Frankl, meaning is found not just by transcending the self, which is what I've just been talking about, but it's also to be found by transcending the present moment. In other words, Frankl says that we can discover meaning in life by being future-focused and having a goal, In other words, by creating a work or doing some kind of deed. Uh, Actually, it's interesting what Frankel noticed during his experience at the camps was that those who couldn't see past their current situation started to break down both physically and psychically. They lived a provisional life with no future and no goal. Frankel himself attributes his own survival in part to looking forward to the idea of reuniting with his wife and being able to complete the research work that he had started. And like I said at the outset, he even jotted down ideas on scraps of paper while imprisoned. In other words, he always had a purpose that drove him forward and one that transcended his current situation. This is what having a, a goal or a project does. It aligns us towards a future that we care about, and so makes each present step towards it meaningful.
1: You were pretty kind to me last week, I guess kind by omission. I'm not saying when you called me weird, that was a little bit hurtful, but the kindness came from, you didn't really expose why I wasn't on last week's episode, But my virtual therapist said I should be more open and honest with the listeners, so here it goes. I was actually suspended for violating the wisdom of Code of Conduct under the subheading of Rank Hypocrisy. Two episodes ago, I had a truly bizarre rant where I took shots at at Madonna, but strangely that was deemed perfectly acceptable. No, it was the Bill Simmons part. I spent a decent amount of time making fun of his mispronunciation of words. The guy, this guy, he actually said coitus instead of coitus. But here's the rub. Then I went on to mispronounce something, and not just anything, but the actual subject of the episode. I'm not going to repeat it, you know, dare I make the same mistake. So I got suspended, and to be honest, I was in pain. I suffered. But now I'm back and I don't know, there's something almost positive about what I went through. It's like, it's kind of like going to the bathroom. If you simply urinate whenever you want, it's no big deal. But if for whatever reason you're unable to go, like you just drank a heroic amount of Diet Dr. Pepper, today's sponsor, by the way, Diet Dr. Pepper, it's not as gross as you think. But, you know, you're sitting there, your bladder is completely full, and you're stuck on, I don't know, like on a subway train. When you finally get to relieve yourself, it's a joyous experience because of your suffering. Does Mr. Frankel have anything to say about urination?
0: Um, I have to confess, this time I just actually stopped listening halfway through what you just said. It takes a lot of stamina and deciphering just to get through every first minute of whatever it is you think you contribute. But I did get a hazy sense of something about the importance of suffering. So why don't I just segue from there? So what does Frankl have to say about suffering? Well, so one of Frankl's most important ideas is that we can discover meaning in life by the attitude that we take towards unavoidable suffering. Now, maybe the best way to explain what he means here is by looking at two very different questions. Okay, so when things are hard, we often ask the question, what do I want out of life, right? Yet, when you think about it, there's something, I don't know, childish about this sort of attitude. It suggests that life should somehow acquiesce to us, or, or please us, or, or pamper us, or that it owes us something. No, for Frankl, the right question to ask in a captive time is not what do I want out of life, but rather what is life asking of me? What am I being called to do right now? In other words, we need to stop questioning life and instead see ourselves as the ones being questioned by it. So the right question is is something like, what is my responsibility here? And how am I going to respond to what life has thrown at me? You see, according to Frankl, we're free to choose our attitudes and approaches to things, no matter how confining the situation may be. And again, difficult times call for us to be more resourceful and courageous. The more difficult the task in front of us, the more we're summoned to taking responsibility and finding the right solutions. Life constantly sets out problems for us, and the meaning of our lives is going to be measured by how it is we respond to it and fulfill the sorts of tasks it requires of us. So, life then can have radiant meaning or purpose in the darkest of hours. Unavoidable suffering can be transmuted into heroic achievement. Now, you might think that meaning here is just too demanding. But remember, no one said that genuine meaning comes easy. Frankel himself is really explicit on this. He says over and over again that a tensionless life is not a good thing. He's not for any kind of um, inner equilibrium or homeostasis. To live a passive and under-demanded life just isn't good. It's just not conducive to meaning. Lack of tension correlates with lack of meaning. No, for Frankl, what we really need is a fair amount of tension aroused by the challenge of a meaning we're called to fulfill. You know, Frankl's emphasis on the importance of tension and struggling reminds me of what uh, Nietzsche says about our modern culture and the problem of nihilism. So a lot of people in our contemporary world, Nietzsche thinks, make the avoidance of pain and the accruing of pleasure and distraction their end in life. But this isn't a good sign, to say the least. No, it's it's not good because what it shows is that most people don't have any higher values or hold to any bigger goals or commitments in life. And ultimately, this is no good either, because what it means is that most of us don't live lives with any real meaning. Most of us, in other words, fall prey to nihilism. We fall into that unendearing category of the last man, as Nietzsche calls it. You see, for Nietzsche, like Frankl really, meaning is what's most important in life, not small sensations. Meaning is what determines what we should do, not feelings like pleasure or the avoidance of pain. And meaning is, like I said, tied up with the pursuit of higher values or goals, and these, for Nietzsche, are very demanding and uncompromising. But that just means that their pursuit and their fulfillment will require some resistance and suffering on our part. But again, there's nothing wrong with this. No, we should want and invite this sort of suffering. We should know that suffering isn't bad, provided there's a meaning or a purpose for it. I don't know, maybe now we're in a better position to understand why it is that Frankl was so fond of quoting Nietzsche, especially this line, He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how.
1: To the Wisdom of Podcast. If you want to know more
0: about this topic or the podcast in general, visit wisdomofpod.com. And as usual, we love to read your questions and comments. Reach us at info at wisdomofpod.com or on Twitter at wisdom underscore pod. Our next episode, Eric From <laughs>